one of the most challenging things that I have ever had to do in my entire life and try to, is to try to be an effective hope dealer in this current climate. Never have any of us concurrently lived through mass geopolitical upheaval, a global health pandemic, burning cities, overt hate and blatant division. rookie mistake he'll learn never have we had access to so much information and disinformation that is circulated minute by minute as we have now and yet it is incumbent upon those of us who are ambassadors of a different kingdom who are called by his name to look at the torn fabric of society and find there a thread of hope it is our purpose and hope that our lives and our teaching and our own personal experiences in the same climate would reveal at the same time a parallel universe of sorts. With our words and with our deeds, we seek to reveal a kingdom which is hidden in plain sight. Those whose eyes are open to see this revolutionary way of living, a way in which we operate and live from above, are invited to participate in the subversion of the kingdom of darkness. To be sure there is a kingdom of light as much as there is a kingdom of darkness. Both of them have voices and both of them call to each of us on a daily basis. I would contend they both call to us individually and collectively in every single decision that we make in our lives. Hmm. Bishop Johnson taught us years ago, at least he taught me, he said, everything that you see has a voice. Everything. A chair has a voice that says, sit in me. A microphone has a voice that says, sing or speak in me. A table has a voice that says, place things on me. Everything speaks to us. And we live simultaneously in a world where we can hear the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And the reality is, whichever one we give our focus to, is the one, is the, that's the reality in which we'll live. If we're continually focusing on and have our perspective, not just towards, but from the kingdom of darkness, then everything that we see will be negative, it will be bad, it will be full of evil, it will be full of death, it will be full of sickness, it will be full of curse and full of disease. But Paul said, leaving those things which are behind and, 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 turning, and, and turning my perspective to that which lies ahead, I press... It's funny how Paul says, in the New, he says, this one thing I do, and then he goes on to essentially mention two things. He said, forgetting that which lies behind and looking unto that which is ahead. It sounds like two things, but what he's trying to say is, you can't turn from something unless you turn to something else. Because if you turn from something having nothing to turn to, you'll always turn back to the thing you turn from. And we wonder why people come into the kingdom and they seem to get their life on track and on order. And before long, there's, as they call the great falling away, they're not what they were before. The reality is repentance is not just turning from something. It's turning to something. It's from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. It's from the covenant of death and cursing to the covenant of life and blessing. You must not just turn from something. 
Even in our podiums, in our pulpits, and on our, our sermons on Sunday mornings, the focus is almost always what we turn from. Turn from sin, and depending on your particular brand of religion, turn from you know drinking or smoking, whatever the quote quote sins are. Those are not sins. Sin is not drinking or smoking. Sin is simply this: missing the mark. I can prove to you that scripturally, sin is living beneath God's original design for your life. That's sin. In the garden, in the beginning, the, the, the very first, I said this last week, the very first picture of God that we ever see is God as creator. And then he says, and God made man in his image and after his likeness, which is to say that he made us like him as creators. And so that was the original intent. That was the original design. And God, the voice of the Lord God walked with Adam in the cool of the eve. That was the design. Community with father and son without any separation. The father could have a thought and the son could hear it without the, without the mouth having to speak it it was one mind one accord one voice one bread one body however you want to that was the original design anything less than that is sin now to be sure the results of sin or the symptoms of sin may be some of the things that people do but the things that people do are merely symptoms and we all know if you treat the symptom of a disease the disease stays but if you ever go to the heart of the disease and cut the disease itself out the symptoms will take care of themselves the reality is we got people and preachers every Sunday preaching against drinking and you're going to go to hell for drinking you're going to do this and, that. and people don't change because that's a symptom the reality, or, or the sin may be, and it may not be. It, it, it may not be that drinking's a sin for you, but for some people, it's not a sin. The sin is, what are you trying to drown without alcohol? That's the missing the mark. Because you should not have to have anything to be substituted for your relationship with the Father to feel as if you're desirable. And anything that you do to, one, make yourself feel desirable or just to be able to cope as a coping mechanism for the world, that's, it's taken the place of the Father. And essentially what you've done is set up a graven image and you worship at that image. Now that's sin. But having a drink or having this other, that's not sin. That's maybe a symptom of a sin. But sin is seeing yourself or others in any way less than the way Father sees, not Saul, sees them. Amen. So to be sure there's a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness that, that collectively and individually speak to us with every decision that we make. And if we experience life only through our natural senses, we're more likely and more keen to answer the call of the kingdom of darkness. However, if our hearts have been illuminated and illuminated by the Spirit of God. Another way to say it is, if the Spirit of God has lit your candle. You want to go read about candles being lit in the, the candlestick being lit in Revelation. If the Spirit of God has come and illuminated your mind and illuminated your thought. We're not, we're not conformed anymore then to the, excuse me, to the pattern of this world. But we're transformed. How? By the renewing of our mind. By the illumination. When Jesus was teaching his disciples. When he was just about to be taken from them. When the great cloud. The family was coming to snatch Jesus up. He said look. I'm going away. Uh, uh, but, but remember the, the comforter. Who is the Holy Spirit will come. And he'll put you in remembrance. Of everything that I've said. Essentially what he said was. Hold on to the words that I gave you. But when the Holy Spirit comes. He's going to shine a light on what I said. And you're going to understand. Oh this is what you meant. Oh, and then you'll see it and you'll know it. When the, when the Spirit of God illuminates our hearts, illuminates our minds, then we begin to answer the call of the kingdom of light. And then our experiences are dictated not by the kingdom of darkness, but then they will be illuminated by revelation and the awareness of the king of light and of his kingdom. 
to understand how to live in such a time as we have been exposed to. And to be sure, I've talked to many. In fact, I met with a uh, I met with just this past week on Tuesday. I had lunch with the pastor of the largest conglomerate of churches in South Africa. Churches much bigger than Elevation, multiple campuses. The two of us had lunch down at Red Rocks Cafe in Huntersville. And he said, we're living in unprecedented times. Not only do we live, each of us, in unprecedented times, can you imagine trying to shepherd and be an honest servant of God in a time like this where anything you could say or, or might say can be twisted or turned against what you're actually trying to convey? Not necessarily by those that are with you in the family, but by any outside voice, they'll twist because that's what we do. That's, the, that's what we live in, is in the day of twisting words and, and taking, uh, taking text out of context, which always gives pretext, and saying this is what he said when that's not really what was said. That's just a little portion of what was said. However, if you have ever read what most people say in context, it's not always full of hate. But he said, Joshua, we're living in unprecedented times. No one has ever had to pastor at the same time with, with a worldwide global pandemic, with cities burning, with, with race wars worse than they've been since the 60s, all stoked by those that are, think that they're in power, but those that are in natural governmental power that are doing that, not because they care about whether you're white or black. They couldn't care life, whether the blue lives matter or black lives matter. They don't care about any of that. What they care about is retaining control and power. And they'll use whatever pawns on their chess table that they can use to remain in power. So they stoke the, the, the flames of racial division. They stoke the flames of, of uh, social economic um, division where you've got the upper ruling class and you've got this middle class. You've got the lower class. Whatever they can do in the, in the name of the game from the kingdom of darkness is always division. It's, it's, a very simp it's a very simple equation. If anywhere in the, equation, in the equation of life you see division, it is not coming from God. He's not a divider. He's a multiplier. And so if you turn on your, if you turn on your C NBC or your Fox News or your CNN and what you're seeing is division, 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 you can be absolutely certain that is not coming from the mouth of God. That's coming from the prince of the power of the air. And the best thing for all of us that any of us could do is turn that mess off and say, wait a minute, this is making me feel a way that I shouldn't feel. How is it that people that live in, in the same community that have grown up together that may be of different color skin or whatever have loved, it, have loved their friends their whole lives? It's happened to me. And here we do fast forward to, to 2020 and people you've known and loved your whole life don't like you anymore or won't speak to you or have muted you just because of something they heard a pundit on a news channel say. Now, that's division, and that is not of the kingdom of light. And if we submit to that, then we become part of the darkness, and how great is the darkness? If they that are supposed to see are blind, then if the blind are the ones leading the blind, everybody falls into a ditch. And we look around at what's supposed to be the churches and what's supposed to be these that are helping, and we see attack, 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 punch, 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 punch. And we wonder why in the world the world's going to hell in a handbasket. It's because God's waiting for the sons and daughters. In fact, not only is God waiting, but the Bible says all of the earth groans and travails and waits for what for the manifestation not of the black man not of the white man not of the yellow man the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God period and if we take our identity first in any other way than sons and daughters of God we've missed the boat already and we've joined our hands to the kingdom of darkness most of us not even knowing what we've done and we will look back and say oh my god I was duped I was duped all they cared about was control because they do not care about you. 
Listen to me. Listen to hear it from somebody who loves you. They don't care about you. They care about control, and they will use you, and they will use me, and they will use anything that they possibly can to to keep the flame stoked to division, so they can remain in control and power. But there is a generation standing up saying, "I refuse to be divided on racial lines. I refuse to be divided on social lines. I refuse to be divided on any lines. This is my brother. This is my sister, and we're all sons and daughters of the King." And when we stand up and say that, and we make that sound loud enough, then the voice of darkness in the kingdom of darkness begins to shake. In fact, it shakes so hard. Have you ever thought about the scripture when Jesus says, And unto you I will give the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. We always think about the gates of hell shall not prevail as though it's an onslaught of hell or an attack. No. Gates are made to keep something out or to allow something in. The gates of hell not prevailing is not a picture of hell attacking the church, but the church bombarding the gates of hell, and they can't keep us out because we're going to walk into that place and redeem man kind because that's what Jesus did we're supposed to go into people's individual or corporate hell and say you don't have to stay here because of what Jesus did it doesn't matter if it's financial relational it doesn't matter you don't have to stay here if it's because of your health you don't have to stay here we're supposed to be as Jesus was the resurrection and the life and we carry within us, Paul said if if the same spirit that dwells in you that raised Jesus Christ from the dead then he will quicken your mortal bodies That's our job. The gates of hell should not prevail because we should be attacking the gates of hell. And that's what I do on a week-to-week basis. And sometimes it's utterly exhausting. And sometimes you stand out on a battlefield and look and say, where in the world are the men and the women of God that refuse to be divided anymore? Why are my brothers and sisters joining hands with the kingdom of darkness? How can you not see? Have you not seen? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you? You're children of the light. You're children of the kingdom of light. You're not even supposed to be in any fellowship with darkness at all. The Bible says in him was light and there was no shadow or variance, no shadow of turning. There is no shadow. There is no darkness in him at all. Better get back to my notes. He said, we've never had a time where you've had to try to be an effective minister, an effective shepherd. God is the shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd, but he does use people. And try to help people navigate the tumultuous turmoil, which is our current circumstance. And yet, I learned a long time ago that our our present circumstance is not equal to what our calling is in the kingdom. That's why Jesus could sleep in the bow of the boat in the middle of a crazy storm. A storm that scared professional fishermen. To understand how to live in a time such as we are all exposed to right now. We can look at the life of Jesus on the earth. His life understood in context may help us to discover how we can live in a very similar political climate. Now, I want to read some things to you, and this is going to be a little bit of a history lesson, but I believe that if we can read Jesus' life. Now, let's just, you can never separate Jesus from God, but he was very God and he was very man. But the reason that we can relate to him is because he became like one of us. In fact, he became one of us. And so, how can I relate to God? I can't become God, but God become like me. And so, when we look at the picture of Jesus, let's just take aside and set aside, not that you can, let's set aside the miraculous and let's set aside the, the super 
supernatural. And let's just look at his life in general. And then in a minute we'll get to the supernatural. Can we do that for a minute? Jesus was a Palestinian Jew. He would have grown up with stories of conquest and oppression. Most likely historians say that Jesus was probably raised Pharisaical. Which is to say when he was bar, mitz- bar mitzvahed, when he was 12 years old, he could quote the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, the Pentateuch. Could quote them. That was a, a prerequisite, a requirement for a boy to enter into manhood. And so, as you know, when the Hebrew boy would become 12, uh, he would be bar mitzvahed. He would be understood that now you're going to begin to become a man. You're not a man, but you'll be, become a man. And from 12 until the age of 30, the, the Jewish boy would live with his father, or if he had a father, and if he didn't, then, then, then his uncle would become like a father, and he would work in the family business until the time he was 30. That's exactly what Jesus did. The stories recounted the many, that Jesus heard, recounted the many waves of foreign invasions that sought to subjugate the Jewish people. The Roman occupation of Israel in 63 BC was the last in a long line of invasions, beginning with the Babylonians, as you know, almost 600 or 550 years before, and then the Persians and the Greeks. Jewish identity was uh, also rested on the stories of the patriarchs. Who are the patriarchs? You know, Abraham. So Jesus heard stories about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, as well as the founding story of the Moses-led liberation from the Egyptians at the Exodus. There were yet other stories that recounted successful self-rule under the Hebrew kings of Saul, David, Solomon, and so forth. However, history records that the Jewish people were more often the victims than the victors in their fight for national sovereignty. I love that when God chose his people, he did not choose a land first. He chose a people and said, I'll give you a land. We live in 2020 and we identify with the land that we are living in, the land that we come from. That's not supposed to be the way that it is. The Bible says that, 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 that the, old, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. But that we can look at the Jewish people and all that happened to the Israelites in the, in the coming out of Egypt and in the parting of the Red Sea is a type, so to speak, or a picture of what we as the church would go through. And so it's not worthless. It's certainly not worthless. It speaks to our history. But I think that it's amazing that Jesus's people, that God's people, the chosen people, Israel, was always known as God's people and not defined by a, 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 a geography or a nation that was defined by borders. In fact, they were a nation without borders. The Roman occupation, I'm, I'm sorry, there were yet other stories that recounted of Saul and David and, and Solomon. But history records that the Jewish people were often more the victims than the victors in their fight for national sovereignty. When Jesus came, his people were seeking the violent overthrowing of an oppressive Roman occupation. Jesus was literally born in time when, there, when, his, when his Jewish ancestry, when his Hebrew brothers and sisters, he was born a Jewish man. He was a, a Hebrew when he was born, then every place that he walked was essentially owned by or occupied by the, the, the Roman Empire. I want to ask you one question. How many times did you, did you see Jesus overtly with riots or protest or looting or whatever else try to subvert the Roman government? Did he subvert it? Absolutely. But he did it in a more powerful way. 
Am I suggesting that those that are trying to stand and fight for equal rights are somehow wrong? I'm not saying that. Don't, please don't, don't take my spirit apart from my words. Now, if I think if you're throwing bricks through glass and setting buildings on fire, you need, you need to pay for that. That's just dumb. And all that shows is just ignorance. But if you're trying to stand and say, hey, I'd like to be treated the same. We've talked about this at length. I don't, ad nausea, I don't think that I have to qualify my heart for people of color in this church. That's not what I'm talking about. Right? I don't think anybody in this church needs to, be, needs to qualify your heart towards people of color. I think that we all love people of color. I think I've made that abundantly clear. And yet, Jesus lived in a time that was so similar to our time that it was insane. It, it, it's almost uncanny how close the geopolitical climate is now to what it was 2,000 years ago. He was born in a Roman occupation as a Jewish, as a Jewish child. And they thought that the Messiah who was promised was going to come and topple the Roman army just as King David had destroyed all of his enemies. They had believed this for thousands of years. By the time David, a thousand years from David. They believed it, that this was going to happen. 500 years. And yet as much as Jesus was a descendant of David, he did not seek violent revolution. Just bear with me. Listen to me. Let me get where I want to go. What I'm going to talk about today, I'll just go and give you the title so you can hang on for dear life. I see hope. This is the title of what I'm going to preach today. I see hope. I see hope. He did not seek a violent revolution. He was more of a hope dealer. In the time of Jesus, Hebrew identity was maintained, as it is with most oppressed peoples, through a deep spiritual conviction. This conviction was expressed in terms of covenant theology. Which is to say, the Jewish people had a covenant with Jehovah. A, a covenant with Yahweh. And they believed that this covenant was what would protect them, even in the midst of crisis, and even in the midst of the occupations of the Babylonian Empire and the Roman Empire and the Persian Empire. This, that, that Although these empires, if you look from the natural eye, were so much stronger than this little, tiny, almost insignificant Jewish nation, the reason they were significant, they drew their significance not from their ability to rule, but with their covenant with fire. Father, with God. Which is a belief that God had chosen them to play a unique role in the history of the world. Now, Jesus was a Nazarene. He lived most of his life in the town of Nazareth, within the province of Galilee. Although a small village, Nazareth was close to the other metropolitan cities. Tiberias, Sepphoris, other places. Unlike those predominantly Gentile cities, Nazareth was a Jewish enclave. It was a Jewish city. It was also relatively poor and overpopulated. Now, that sounds like Statesville. Maybe not the overpopulated part, but relatively poor. The, did you know that the median household income in Statesville is $38,000? $38,000. That's not a lot of money. I know when I say that some people, that's more than you probably make in a year. On the grand scale of things, that is considered poverty level. Now, taking shots, I want you to understand where we are. Because I think we can identify more with the Jewish people of Jesus' day than we might be able to realize. Maybe some of you in here are millionaires. That God knows the tithe don't tell that, but you might be. Three of you got it. It really was a joke. I don't care. How many times you ever heard me beat you up over giving? It was really supposed to be a joke. So it's okay to laugh in church. 
Jesus lived in this small Jewish village of Nazareth where it was mostly Jewish people and most of them were poor. Now they had, they had jobs and they worked and they tried to provide, but they were not wealthy people. Can you imagine? Can you go back in time and see? Every day they believe in this relationship with Father and they believe, although at that time they didn't necessarily understand how to relate to God as Father. It was more the mighty warring God. We had this relationship and yet our oppressors I mean, every time you look, at, you go back in history, you look at 413 years worth of slavery to the Egyptians. And finally, 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 they come out and finally cross the Red Sea. And finally, they come into their promised land. And finally, they march around the Jericho walls. And finally, they go into their promised land. And it ain't going to be much longer that the, Bab- that the Babylonians are going to come. And now you look around and they're oppressed by the Babylonians. And then an even greater empire, the greatest the world had ever seen at that time. The Persian Empire comes and topples everything, and now they're there. This would be the time of Jeremiah and the time of Daniel, when they lived as prophets within the crazy uh, Persian Empire. And then their, their prophets would, would foresee and foretell a day that a Messiah would come out, a Messiah that would free them. Think about this. A Messiah that would liberate them from the bonds of slavery, from the bonds of oppression. And, and Jesus does come. And what does he come with? He doesn't come riding in a horse. Instead, he's on a donkey. And he doesn't come with a sword. He comes with a seed. And he's going to plant the seed in the fertile soil of the hope of the Jewish people. Because he knows that the most powerful thing in all the creation is not a sword, but a seed. And he knew that it was going to be ultimately Christ that would live in us. That was going to be the hope for glory. And so he brought a seed of hope. And he said, I'm going to plant it in the seedbed of the pain of the Jewish people. You put a seed out there and pour a six-inch pad of concrete over it, a grass seed, and tell me how long it takes for the grass to find its way up through that concrete. And it's insane what a seed can do. You would never say that grass is more powerful than concrete. Go plant it and pour a concrete pad and find out how long. Come to my house. You want to see cracks all over the concrete? Come to my house. It's been there 35 or 40 years. And my God, you, can, you can't dribble a basketball without it just going one way or the other. At least that's Isaac's excuse when I destroy him on the court. It hit the concrete crack. Yes, Isaac, that's why it's 22 to nothing, because of the concrete crack. Just teasing with him. I'm going I'm to subvert the kingdom of darkness. He, Jesus knew that the Roman Empire would not last. In fact, it was only going to last about 40, uh, 45 or 50. It was going to be overthrown completely. But he did know this. He said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to plant a seed. In fact, not only am I going to plant a seed, I am the seed that's going to be planted. Because father had a son, but he wanted a family. So he planted the son in order to have the crop of a family come. And Nazareth was a Jewish enclave. It was relatively poor and overpopulated. There was a scarcity of natural resources, such as water and fertile soil. In such a situation, there tended to be a fair amount of sickness and disease. Nonetheless, Nazareth could not be called destitute. Jesus came from a family of craftsmen or carpenters, which in the time of Jesus, uh, Hebrew identity was maintained as it is with most oppressed peoples through, uh, I'm sorry, uh, it suggests a reasonable socioeconomic standard of living. So Jesus, I wouldn't consider anybody in here necessarily poor, but that's because I've been to India and Africa and Peru and I've actually seen poor people. I've actually seen children starving to death. I've watched them eat a handful of rice as if it was a T-bone steak. Because it's the first thing they had eaten in a week. In fact, we send money to help support these places and to, and to support these children. 
I've got a friend over in Winston-Salem, Matt Peterson, who, who dr- digs, his whole ministry is, is uh, to, to drill wells for those that are less fortunate. You may or may not, you know Matt at a week church. If you don't know him, look him up. He's a, he's a CIA guy. We went on a trip to Montana a few years ago, and I nicknamed him Jason Bourne. Worked in the CIA for like 17 years now. He's a wonderful pastor. In fact, that's where the, the Breath and Clay, Abby, he's the one that hosted the Breath and the Clay. Uh, or was going to host it before covert. Judaism at the time of Jesus was a complex mixture of divergent social, political, and religious ideologies. Doesn't that sound familiar? In general terms, we can speak of, now listen to me, four, but I'm going to talk about three distinct movements, ideologies, or life options during the time of Jesus. Three different ones. The zealot movement, which took the revolutionary option. Barabbas was a zealot. This is what, if you turn on your news and watch people throwing bricks through, you're looking at zealots. They have a reason to feel the way they feel. They're just going about the whole thing completely wrong. Listen, you can hear the stage creak. It's not normally that quiet in here. The zealot movement took the revolutionary option. It advocated towards violence, armed rebellion, anything to get rid of the Roman oppression. Now, does this sound familiar or not? I'm not, don't, don't worry, I'm going to get to your group too. Nothing else, according to the zealots, would bring the final liberation to the Jewish people. Now, let's just stop a minute. We can say the word zealot, and it's easy to cast a stone, but let's put ourselves in their position. If you've lived hundreds of years as a slave or as an oppressed people, and you're supposed to have a promised land, and the only reason that you don't have what should be yours is because a governmental system keeps you oppressed, you would probably be ticked off too. I wasn't actually going to say it. I just want to see what your reaction would be. You probably wouldn't like it either. In fact, there would be people in among your group that's going to say, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. I'm tired of it. They're not listening. We can't have our voices heard this way. I'm going to pick up a brick that conveniently has been placed in the city for me, and I'm going to put it through a window. In fact, did you know some of Jesus' disciples were zealots? They weren't evil people. You look and you turn on your news and see somebody throwing a brick through a window and you immediately want to call them evil. They're not evil. They're tired of not being heard. And yet it's still not the Jesus way. They're tired of the oppression. They're tired of not feeling equal. We've had these conversations. They're tired of feeling like their voices don't get above the ceiling. That they can't be aptly represented in their own society. And they're, and they're sick of it. And they think because they've been, for whatever reason, they think the only way they're going to be heard is to put, set the cities on fire. Just like they're doing today. It was the same in Jesus' time. And yet, their intentions were good, but the way they went about it was not good. Oh, and to be sure, there were those in places of power that egged on them to, you know, burn the cities. And to, but it didn't matter how much they fought, they were not going to overthrow the Roman, the mighty Roman uh, Empire. Wasn't going to happen. It is the same today. You're going to see burning cities. And it's going to continue through the election cycle. And for, it would be a lot worse if this was an election year. But let's just, uh, I think we're all mature enough adults to understand all the things that are happening aren't just happening At the same time. This is an election year. And there are people in power on both sides of the aisle. That will do anything and sell anything. Including their souls to stay in power. I hope we all know that that's what's happening. What we have to do is say. But there is a way to subvert the kingdom that is. Without a violent overthrowing. Because it won't work. Do you actually think. 
I mean, do you actually think any, uh, uh, any amount of armed militia is going to overthrow the American empire? It's not going to happen. I'm not trying to be ugly, and I ho- hope to God, that, that, not to hurt your feelings, it's not going to happen. You're talking about the, of all the empire, of the Persian empire, and the Roman empire, and the Egyptian, of all the empires of history, none of them, all to combined, would not even stand a chance against the American empire. You might take solace in that. A whole lot of people don't. It breaks people's heart. I mean, we, we cheer, and you should. I mean, we, we, I've been, it amazes me how many people are throwing Independence Day under the bus as if they don't, haven't enjoyed it all their lives, and now magically all of a sudden it's the worst day ever. I've seen other countries where people are, do not have the freedom, some of the freedoms that we have. Does that mean that every voice is heard? No. Does that mean that all voices in society should be heard? Absolutely. And I hope that we get there one day. What I'm trying to say is, I'm not an American first. I'm a son of God. Jesus was not Jewish first, and he wasn't a Roman citizen first. Jesus was the Son of God, and he was going to bring subversion to the empire. How? By planting a seed. So the first group that we have are the Zealots. The second group is the Sadducees. They were, they were great pragmatists of the day. They were wealthy lay nobles, priests, and aristocrats, and they sought to conserve their wealth and power through compromise with Rome. We have a lot of preachers like that that are doing that very thing today. We've watched them pray in this administration and the last administration in the White House. And their prayers that they prayed were just so that the camera could hear what they're saying as if their eloquence was going to change anything. Am I saying this is about every preacher? No, but if you don't think that White House now and eight years ago was packed with those that didn't care if God heard but cared more about the camera hearing their words, then you are of all people most deceived. Well, I watched him pray with President Trump. No, you watched him say a bunch of words. I watched him pray with President Obama. No, you watched most of them saying a bunch of words that were hoping if they were able to rub shoulders enough with the political powers that be that they would get a little bit of influence, which essentially means they would get a little bit of money. Can we all be honest? Let's not act like everybody that prays with President Trump is, you know, God sent and has an angel sitting on both shoulders. And not, let's not act like every person that prayed with President Obama had the same. Do I think there were men of God that prayed with President Trump? Absolutely. I know one of them is Lynn Hiles. Do I think there were men of God that prayed with uh, former President Obama? Yes, one of them was Lynn Hiles. We know some of these people. And yet, these men, these men, the Sadducees, they didn't really care so much about the people. What they cared about was... This must be a bad service. Maybe it's just real peaceful in here. <laughs> I want to take a nap too. Can I take a nap? They did not believe in resurrection. In fact, that's how we were taught when we were little children. Do you remember? They were sad, you see. <laughs> they don't, if you don't believe in resurrection, you are of all, of all men most miserable. And they like to be heard for their praying, and they like to be seen in their royal robes, but they, they wouldn't dare go into the, the dirty villages where the people lived and try to help them, because really what they cared about was their power. And every Sunday, in a whole lot of pulpits, that's exactly what's happened. you got people preaching more about the empire than they preach about Jesus. I can guarantee you today... As sad as it is, there are men that are getting up, wasting their 45 minutes and the time of the people, bashing people that didn't praise the United States of America yesterday. They won't say one word about Jesus. They won't say one word about liberation. They won't say one thing about the kingdom of God. And literally think that they're doing God a service. Boy, it's real quiet in here. I hope you come back next Sunday. That's all I know how to say. 
Jesus didn't bow to the empire. I sure as heck ain't going to. I love that I live in the United States. As I said, I've spent months overseas. And there's nothing like the feeling of the airplane landing on U.S. soil when you get back home. Because with all of our issues, at least we still, how many people had to go through any checkpoints or machine guns to get to church this morning? Because I've had that happen to me. It happened in Africa and it happened in India. So don't tell me like this is the worst thing that's ever happened. It could get a lot worse. Most of the members of the Sanhedrin, which were the church leaders of the day, were from the Sadducee group. They, as the people at the top of the pecking order in the Jewish society of their time, were much more concerned with present-day affairs than speculation on the life to come. In the Gospels, it's the Sadducees who are the main opponents of Jesus, shocker, at the time of his trial and death. The Sadducees had more of a problem with Jesus than the Romans did. Tell me that's not crazy. They didn't like him because he threatened their power structure. When you see a, guy, a redneck get up and torn jeans and a shirt and tell you that God is wanting to give you a seat of hope to subvert the earthly kingdoms, a lot of people don't like that. You may not believe it, but I'm not the most well-accepted preacher around Statesville. Because I'm not going to get up and, 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 and lead you in the Pledge of Allegiance and three songs in the Red Book and tell you if you live good, you get to go to heaven, and if you don't, you're burning in hell. we got enough churches that do that. You don't have to drive very far to find them. And let them be what they are. I'm not taking shots. I'm just saying, I'm, that's not, I, I got way too much life to live and way too, too, way too much life to give and way too, way too much in me for me to bow to the political power structure that exists, unfortunately, inside the kingdom of God. I'm not going to do it. It's the Sadducees who were Jesus' main opponents. They rightly saw that Jesus' radical brand of religion threatened their power and status. Now, lastly, the Pharisees were in many ways the, ide uh, the idealists of the Jewish society. Most of the scribes, which were the theologians, scribes were the ones who took what was said of the Old Testament and they would write it down so that people could remember it and they would have a remembrance of the Scripture throughout the generations. you got to remember, as weird as this is to say, of course there was no social media. There was no media at all. The only media was what was written down. And so these men were chosen. Most people didn't read and most people didn't write. So the scribes were specifically chosen people who would read the Torah and write the Torah down so that it could be preserved through the generations. These were well-educated people, and these are who the Pharisees were. In general, the Pharisees sought to live life by a meticulous following of the Torah, which is the Jewish law. They did not believe in compromise with the Romans, which the Sadducees did, and they did not believe in the revolutionary activity, as the Zealots did. No doubt their emphasis on the law could result in legalism, which in turn became a pretext for hypocrisy. So in Jesus' time, we've got, we've got the zealots, or the brick throwers through the window, and that ain't the Jesus way. You've got the Sadducees, which are the far extreme, uh, what, I don't, I don't want to label them today, but people that are getting up preaching more about the American empire than they are about the kingdom of God. And then you've got the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the ones that are telling you how to live by an old covenant law, as if that's going to work. Paul was very clear in the New Testament. That doesn't work, and Jesus is even more clear. All that was written in the law and the prophets spoke of me. Everything that you read about them speaks of me. When he walked with the boys on the road to Emmaus, the Bible says, and starting with Moses, remember that? And all of the prophets, Jesus revealed himself in everything, everything about himself. I mean, do you imagine what kind of revelation that was for those? When Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness, so also was the Son of Man lifted up. I mean, he goes through all the types and shadows. 
and says, this is me, this is pointing to me. But the Pharisees thought, if I keep good rules and do good enough, then one day, because they did believe in the resurrection of the dead, we'll raise from the dead. Now we fast forward to 2020. We got riots in the streets, an oppressive empire with whatever name you want to add on to whatever the empire. I don't think the, Amer- the, the American empire is the, is the empire. I think it's the, it's the geopolitical structure because it, it ain't just America. It's those that are in power versus those, those of us who have real power in the kingdom of God, but it doesn't look like in society we have any power. And then you've got the Sadducees that don't believe in life after death. They're just going to rub shoulders with the powers that be so they can get some money. And then you have the Pharisees that think that keeping some sort of a law from the Bible is what's going to allow you to inherit uh, righteousness in the kingdom. And all of it could not be further from the truth. And then you've got this one radical hippie guy. Nobody really knows who his dad is. I mean, they say it's Joseph, but he don't look like Joseph. I mean, he looks so much not like Joseph that they question, is that really his daddy? There's something different about his eyes. It's in his eyes. He don't have his daddy's eyes, but he does have his father's eyes. He's definitely Mary's boy, but I'm not sure that he's Joseph's boy. And he grew up as a Pharisee, but every time we hear him talking, he literally is saying the opposite of what the Torah said. What do you mean he's saying the opposite? You've heard it said by them of old time, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, he literally contrasts his gospel with what was said in the Torah. But I say unto you, If a man steals your coat, give him your shirt too. If a man hits you on your face, turn to him the other cheek. You've heard it said by them of of old time, but I say. I mean, you could read throughout the Gospels, Jesus would say, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, but I say. It's a contrast. He's saying the Pharisaical way is not the way either. Because they think that by keeping these laws and statutes, they're going to inherit anything. They inherit nothing by keeping laws and statutes. All it was supposed to do was point to me. because, Because if you keep laws and statutes, then you're going to keep a stony heart. But there'll be a day that I'll write my law in their hearts. And they'll not be led by stone tablets, but they'll be led by the Holy Spirit that I'm going to give them that's going to dwell inside of them. That is the Jesus way. And so I look around in 2020 and I see zealots that have a reason to cry out that that have been oppressed. Some of them, some of them are just paid protesters. We know that. But that have been oppressed that are throwing bricks to the window and say, nope, I don't see Jesus there. And then I look at preachers in the pulpit and they're saying, you know, uh, they're they're praying with President Trump or they're praying with, you know, just so I get both sides and say they're praying with Roy Cooper or they're praying with whoever. And they really don't care if their prayers are heard by anybody but the people that hear them. So it makes them look like they're smart and they they get to rub shoulders with Owen And I look there and I say, nope, I don't see Jesus there. And then I turn on my TV like, well, I'm going to find some life. I'm going to turn off CNN, God knows, and Fox News, God knows. Let's turn on some good old TBN or whatever, whatever your channel of choice is. And all I hear a preacher up there saying is, if you do this, then you get this. And if you do good, you get good. And if you do bad, you're going to reap eternal hell. And I'm like, nope, I don't see Jesus in that either. So where's Jesus to be found 2,000 years ago? Where's he to be found? He's the one walking around with the seed of hope. He's the one that would say, boys, my kingdom is not of this world. He looked eyeball to eyeball with the Roman procurator Pilate and said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my angels fight. But again, I tell you, my kingdom is not of this world. He didn't say my kingdom's not in this world, to be sure. 
We, let's take a prepositional learning course real quick. He did not say my kingdom is not in this world. In fact, when he appears on the scene, he says, boys, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is within you. It comes not with observation as you suppose, but it's with you. It's not of this world, but it is in this world. So if it's not of this world, it means it's not, it's not uh, if you look at any empire of the, of the natural world, that's not the prototype of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the subversion of earthly empires. Is this boring to everybody? The kingdom of God was always supposed to be the subversion. Its, it's, 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 it's hope was not to subvert. Its hope was just to be. But the result of the growing kingdom of God was it would be the subversion of principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. We hear those words and we think of spooky ghosts floating around. Did you know principalities speak of governmental powers? So the kingdom of God was always supposed to be about the subversion of the powers that be. The power structure that is that keeps those that have as having and those that have not as having not. The subversion of the power that says, if you're black and you're white, you should fight. Not for any reason whatsoever, but a little bit of extra melanin in one. To this day, I'll never understand it. Except I do understand that it's whatever they can use to cause division is what they will use. And when I say they, I'm talking about those that are in power. When I talk about those that are in power, I'm talking about those that think that they're in power because of the rulers of the, of the, of the principalities and the rulers of darkness. And yet there is a kingdom of light dawning. There is a seed that's been planted and it's growing and it's manifesting. And the bigger it gets, the more that it, that it pushes away the kingdom of darkness. And it is scaring the demons, and it's scaring the spirit of Jezebel to hell. And she sees that her time is short. And the enemy knows, I can't defeat Jesus. In fact, he by death destroyed him that had the power of death. All the enemy has left is a voice. And he's screaming as loud as he's ever screamed. He's screaming as loud as he's ever screamed. And he's using every tactic that he can because he knows that if one will put a thousand to flight, two will put ten thousand to flight, not just put enemies to flight, but I think sometimes one will put a thousand angels of warfare to flight, and two will put ten thousand to flight. I mean, my God, before you know it, you got a church of 125 people, it will touch the whole world. So I better divide, divide, divide. Sadducees, speak up. Pharisees, speak up. Zealots, throw the bricks. Whatever I can do to maintain my power structure because the subversion of my kingdom is at hand. It's happening because 2,000 years ago, a man whose name was Jesus sowed a seed of hope in the fertile soil of persecution and knew that one day it would take root and that it would grow up like the mustard seed. That's why Jesus said, if you have not the, not the faith as a mustard seed, but the faith of a mustard seed, which what is the faith of a mustard seed? The faith of the mustard seed is this. The mustard seed's belief in itself to become what it was designed to be. We read it and think, if you have the faith as of the size. No, that's not what he said. If you have the faith of, which is to say, if you have faith that the thing that I put inside of you is going to ultimately be born from you and is going to deliver you. Then you say to this mountain called empire or this mountain called division or this mountain called racial inequality or this mountain called economic inequality. Be thou removed and cast into the sea and it will obey you. If you'll just have the faith that what's inside of you. What did God do with Eve? He said, I'm going to put something inside of you that's going to destroy the thing. 
that got you in this mess in the first place. I'm going to put a seed inside of you, and your seed is going to be manifested, and his heel will crush the head of the enemy. And so Jesus planted a seed of hope, knowing that if, if, if it was given enough water and given enough light throughout the ages, that that tree would grow, and it would be the subversion of the evil empire of the kingdom of darkness. Hmm. Many today think, as the zealots of Jesus as they did, I'm going to read my notes and I want to get out of here, that the current political powers need to be burned down. That's not Jesus. When you see rioting and looting and all the other, it's not the Jesus-prescribed answer to the problem. I understand why they feel that way. I can sympathize if I can't empathize, but that's not the Jesus way. Jesus had and has the ability to empathize with the oppressed, but he never said burn the system to the ground. And he, instead, he planted the seeds of a whole different kingdom right in the middle of the raging fires of, so, of societal oppression. Jesus would also not be found in the Sadducees. There are many preachers and so-called faith leaders of today whose feet have never touched the dirt of the real world. Why are you listening to multimillionaire preachers that never had their feet dirty one time? Just send me in your best $100 offering. You know, and I'll mail you a prayer cloth and it'll fix everything. <laughs> if you'll just sow $58, 58 times for 58 days at 558 every single day and pray at 658, God will give you the Isaiah 58 blessing. And it, you'll see it 58 times before the time you turn 58. Sounds funny. Honest to God, there are people that say this kind of ridiculous mess. And we wonder why we have no hope. Why we are of all men most miserable. They wouldn't be able to understand oppression except for the fact that they perpetuate it. You've seen them. That's not the Jesus way. You've seen the Pharisees of our day. Good old boys trying to shove the Bible down everybody's throat as if following rules is going to answer the cries of the generation. The Bible is wonderful. I do believe that it's the Bible. And I do believe that it's the written word of the word of God, which is Jesus. But it didn't help much in Jesus' day. The Jewish people lived their lives in the Torah. They had their Bible too and mistakenly thought it was a prescription for how to live. Not knowing that the one the entire Bible pointed to was walking among them. Think about that. They had the Bible, at least the Old Testament Bible, and they had the word walking among them. And the Bible says he came into his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even those that call on his name. My God, I'm thankful that I'm looking at a company of people that know that we are the sons of God and that we've believed on him who was before the beginning. None of the above, not the zealots, not the Sadducees or the religious leaders rubbing shoulders with political leaders, nor the Pharisees or the Bible thumpers of the day had the answer. And they don't have it today either. Period. The answer was and is Jesus, the subverter of systems. He was and is king of a different kingdom. And his life gives us hope, not in some unrelated distant sense. But for everyday life, the cliche, what would Jesus do, still has power. We will not see kingdom come by a zealous overthrowing of an oppressive system. The kingdom won't come through the talking heads on the news or from the big box church leaders. The kingdom which will supplant all worldly kingdoms must manifest in the hearts of people before for it manifests in the streets of the people. 
God. It must be our default, not just another alternative. The royal, the royalty, the rule, the reign, and the realm of Jesus must have preeminence first in our hearts, and then it'll have it in our streets. The seed of God within all of us must be given space to grow, must be watered, and must be fertilized. Seeking peace with all people is not the same as agreeing with all people. I sat in my chair last night looking in the sky. Sound of fireworks were around me like we were back in war. And in the background, the Lord asked me, what do you see? I literally was sitting back. And he said, what do you see? And without a thought, I said these words. I see hope. It was deeper than my spirit and my heart cried out. And my mouth uttered the phrase, I see hope. You will always see whatever you choose to look at i choose to see hope when i see the children of different colors playing and laughing together i see hope when i see a church of black and white hispanic and brown and more worshiping jesus together i see hope every sunday when i see rachel and sam salem gideon abel luke aaron zavion chardonnay jabari isaac and jonah I see hope. When I hear Robin and Abby and Marie and Becky sing together beautifully in harmony. And I watch Jacob and Cam and Jake and play the bass and the drums and the guitar. I see hope. When I watch children of different color who have no concept of racial division. Walk to children's church on that door. Or nursery at that door hand in hand. I see hope. When I look at the red blood stained cross of the Jewish Jesus. I see hope. When I picture the nail scar in Jesus' hands, I see hope. My God. I see hope. I see hope because I choose to see hope. When I look over at Cam and he does some weird bass thing, I don't know what he just did, and he laughs and I wink at him and he laughs at me. I see hope. Every Sunday. You think it's up, up, you think it's just, or maybe you don't. Some of you think maybe it's just cuter for play. When I look down and see Rachel and sometimes Selah, and when she's here, Bella and, and, and Gigi and some of the others that come up here and dance at the front, I see hope. Because I see these little angels don't even know that they're creating warfare in the heaven. They are all, my God, they're doing more prophetically dancing up here like this without a care or a thought of anything other than I'm here to worship Jesus. That's what Jesus said. If you see these, you've seen the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was teaching one day and children were doing what Rachel does and what Gigi does and what, what they're always doing, what Jasmine, all, all the little ones, Luke, Aaron, all of them. I mean, they used to, we used to have a whole row of them just sat and beat the crap out of the stage as if they were playing drums every Sunday. And it's like, oh, that's cute. And, and, and that happened when Jesus was teaching and they were making such a commotion that the disciples came and said, Shh, you be quiet. And Jesus said, hey, allow them to do what they're doing. Don't tell them to stop. You're looking at the kingdom of heaven. The King James says, forbid them not to come unto me, suffer them, and forbid them not to come, for, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. So when I play in my guitar, and sometimes I look uh, at people that are in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and they're like this. I always want to make sure I can find, where's my little Rachel? Because if I can see one of them dancing, I know right there. It may not be a whole tree of hope, but I got a seed of hope right there. Because this generation refuses to be separated and refuses to care what anybody else thinks. I mean, my God. She might care a little bit. I will be honest with you. When we were doing the services on camera, did you ever notice Rachel started facing that way? <laughs> to do her dances. <laughs> I think that the father looks down and says, 
That right there. That's why the kingdom continues. That's why the kingdom's growing. I sat right there where my cousin is sitting. And Jabari ran up to sit on my lap this morning. I said, I like that shirt. He said, you know sharks won't kill humans. They love them. There's only two kinds of sharks you have to be. I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> he said, no. And then Cam told me that he said that uh, if, they, if they ever taste a human bone, when they get to the bone part, they'll stop eating them because they realize it's a human. Which makes absolutely no sense. It ain't true. And it doesn't matter. The fact that it brought us laughing there is the reason that I see hope. Their innocence and their inability to see that, hey, man, you're different than me. So I can't be with you. I see hope. The very first face that I saw last night when I said I see hope, as if it was in the sky, was Xavion, who's like an adopted son to me. When I gave him his trophy in playing basketball two years ago, he absolutely made it clear that I was to announce Xavion Bunton. When I see children like that that love me and I love them for no other reason than the fact that we're both humans and we're children of God, I see hope. If you think you're going to find hope watching whatever it is that you watch, and I don't care what you watch, that's your, that's your, that, that's your opinion. You do whatever you want to do. I watch TV too. You're not going to find it there. You're going to find a, the seed of hope deep within. Jesus planted it. And here's what you can do in your house. You can water it and you can allow it to see light. Or you can keep, or you can continue to stoke the flames of division, whether it's racial or, or socioeconomic or whatever. You can keep stoking those flames. As long as you stoke those flames, then the kingdom of God will not grow to a place in your lifetime that it will subvert the kingdom of darkness. And yet, I believe that I'm looking at a generation that says, I refuse to be divided anymore. We see the plan of the enemy, and we see that he's using those that think they're in power, and we refuse to join their game and join their party. Instead, what we're going to do is join hands with Jesus and join hands with our brothers and sisters and when we join hands we're not looking at what color it is we're simply just joining hands and saying we're brothers and sisters of the same kingdom Amen. and that kingdom is not an American kingdom and it's not an Iraqi it's the kingdom of God it exists in America but it ain't America it exists in it exists in in Europe but it's not European it exists in Asia but it's not Asian it is the kingdom of God that is the sons and daughters of God that go around the world it's the most powerful thing that has ever been and if we focus on that, then that's what the reality that we'll live in. If we focus on the kingdom of darkness, that's what you're going to see. Let's stand. That's it. See, that wasn't hard, was it? I'm going to tell you what I see. Stand up. My God, I was, it wasn't a joke. It wasn't like a trick. A trick. Stand up. <laughs> Honestly, God, one dude would. <laughs> I would point to him, but I wouldn't do that. He's bigger than me now. I coached him when he was this big in basketball. Pretty good little player. Better than his dad was. No, he's good. <laughs> Abby, I see hope. When you were over here and you're painting during worship and you're expressing yourself to the Lord and what comes through prophetically, I see hope. I can't paint. I couldn't paint that if my life. When Sean gave that, I thought I saw him here earlier. I know I saw him here. Oh, the big tall one, but the real good looking one up there. No, Isaac, not you, the one. And he brought, I couldn't paint, I couldn't paint that picture of Jesus. When I see, when he brings that picture to our house and presents it, I see hope. Because he's seeing a picture of Jesus that I've never seen and it's just as real. When I see Noah taking a stand in his scouts and all the other substances, I want to stand up. And I've gone through some battles and I've gone through some trials, but I've gone through them. 
They didn't stop me. I kept going. I see hope. I choose to see hope because I choose to look at hope. Here's my simple, very simple challenge to you today. This week, I want you to look for the kingdom of God. Well, if you knew reality, I, don't, I do know reality. And the kingdom that is around you, the kingdom of heaven, is way more real than the natural kingdom that you think you live in. And I want to get into weird metaphysics and all that stuff. I'm just telling you, the kingdom of God is more real than the kingdoms of this world. I want you to focus on it this week. Well, you don't know how broken I've been. Well, then I want you to see yourself as whole. You know how angry I've been. I want you to give your anger. Would you give it to the Lord? Give it to Him. It belongs to Him anyways. You don't know how oppressed I've been. Turn off the TV. Turn it off for a week. Turn off social media and TV for one week. I bet you, I, I don't have, I was going to say I bet you the rest of my bang, but it's a rain. You turn that stuff off for one week and you'll be happier when you come here next week than you were this week. Focus on good. Focus on the kingdom of light. Look, if you put a plant inside your house, in the middle of your house where there is no sunlight, and you leave it there for long enough, it's going to die. If you take that plant and put it over in the window, it will reach towards the sun. It's the same with the human soul. If you shine a light on the things that are within, it will grow towards the light. And yet if you keep it in darkness, it's going to die. If you want the hope that is within you to grow, you better give it some light this week. How do I do that? Spend time with the Lord. Make yourself intentionally aware that the Spirit of God is with you, that He is within you, and look for light and look for hope everywhere you go. I mean, how much more hopeless can a situation be than a, than a naked man with a, his back ripped open and his beard, pulled from his beard pulled from his face, bleeding to death and suffocating on a cross? That's a pretty bleak, hopeless situation. None of us have ever been in that situation. And yet, in the midst of the most hopeless situation ever, Jesus was subverting the kingdom of darkness because he that knew no death tasted of death for every man. And death thought that it was swallowing up Jesus because it looked like he was swallowing up Jesus. And I know some of you, in your lives, it looks like you're being swallowed up by the thing that is from the death realm that's attacking you. The reality is, Jesus was going down inside of death so that he could swallow it from the inside out. It wasn't hopeless at all. It was the most hopeful thing that's ever happened. It just took a few days for everybody else to see. Josh, you don't know how hopeless it looks. I don't care. I don't care what it looks like. I care what it is. And here's the reality. The kingdom of, the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit that lives with inside of you, if you let the light shine on it, it will outgrow every darkness that will ever attack you. And it don't matter if it's economic darkness, social darkness, uh, financial darkness, relational darkness. It does not matter. You're, you're empowered. You have, living within you, the same spirit that raised Jesus from... We say those words, but think about it. If there was a dead person laying outside and had been there for three days, would any of you walk out there and say, get up and expect it to happen? But did you know that's the spirit that lives inside of you? The one that has the ability to do that. So what in the world could be hopeless about your situation? It's not that our desires for change are wrong, but the way we've been going around it has not been right. It won't happen from the zealots. It ain't going to happen from the Sadducees. It won't happen from the Pharisees. It will happen when we water the seed of hope.
Father, thank you this morning for the opportunity to come into this place and hear your word that truly is your word, to hear a prophetic declaration that's not like a whole lot of the other declarations that are being said, especially in this city. But it's going to be said here. We will preach hope. We will preach the kingdom of God. We will preach the subversion of the kingdom of darkness. We will declare it and we will see it in my generation. As your people leave this place, Father, help them to know that they are empowered. And know that feeling some sort of, some way about what's happening is not necessarily a bad thing. And yet, in the kingdom of light, we don't experience the kingdom of God with our physical senses. So we've got to experience it by the Spirit. And so, through faith, we experience the kingdom of God. We declare the kingdom of God, the royalty, the rule, the realm, and the reign of God in our lives. And in every situation that presents itself to us this week. We choose to see hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.